Hello and welcome to the Overseas Vietnamese Podcast. This is the show for the global Vietnamese community, all about Vietnamese success stories and cultural identity. We feature interesting personalities from all over the world and have them tell us about their life stories, perspectives and challenges. My name is Quang and I'm the founder of Overseas Vietnamese, the global community of Vietnamese professionals. To learn more, visit us on overseasvietnamese.com. I'm excited to introduce you to Gung Dang, our guest in this podcast episode. Gung is CEO and part of Forbes Vietnam, the Vietnamese branch of the American business magazine, well known for its list and rankings, such as the world's billionaires, the world's most powerful people, and Forbes 30 under 30. Gung is also a respected business advisor for small and medium-sized enterprises and multinational corporations on topics such as digital transformation, mobility, Vietnam market entry, growth, leadership, and so on. Prior to Forbes, he held various executive roles in industries ranging from mobility over logistics to beverages. He brought one of the world's largest car rental companies to Vietnam, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and is still running a Vietnamese-American craft brewery that delivers West Coast beer styles, combining with local tropical ingredients called LHC Brewing. Gung was born in Vietnam and moved to the US at the age of 20, studied and started his career there until he decided to find his way back home to Vietnam in 2017. But let's hear it all from the man himself. Gul, thank you for being on our show today. We're very excited to have you. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So my first question for you would be, you moved to the US from Vietnam when you were 20 years young. What were some of the cultural challenges that you faced? And what was it like in general to move there as a 20 year old Vietnamese? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Vietnam in the 80s and uh, 90s. Um, I moved to the U.S. in early 2000s. Um, uh, the country in Vietnam was kind of not quite developed just yet. Vietnam started taking off in 2005. Uh, so I missed that transition because I, I wasn't here by that time. But I moved there when I was uh, in, in, in early 2000s. And um, I remember the first cultural shock was what I've learned from school, what I've learned and from a language perspective, it is kind of very robotic in terms of communications. When you move to the US, they don't speak with the language you learn in school. They speak with their culture, their pop culture. And, and, and it also depends on the region where you're moving into. It's the West Coast that speak differently, and the East Coast they speak differently, and, and the Midwest is completely different. So um, culture shock, lots of things. Uh, modern world, uh, people are extremely nice. I moved to the Midwest. People are extremely pleasant. That make us uh, Vietnamese here in Vietnam feel a little bit uh, skeptical <laughs> how people are being so nice to you in public and then complete stranger. You grew up and your parents is like, well, don't talk to strangers and don't open doors and things like that. And uh, there was quite a, a culture shock in terms of Americans are friendlier than other nations. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. So tell us more, what was it like to be a Vietnamese student immigrant there? You said you didn't learn English up until the point when you were there. How did you manage the language barrier? It was, um, it was quite challenging in the beginning. Uh, I'm also a bit of a, a, a sociable person. So I approach people most of the time instead of waiting for them to approach me. So that's a best way of learning it. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a class, uh, uh, ESL program, a class where a teacher was um, giving me one bit of advice. It wasn't very serious, but I think it was uh, for him, 
which is a natural thing that he does with every single student uh, coming from Asia. But for me, it was uh, life-changing. So I moved there and I was in a class and they, uh, the teacher was saying, in the class there were international, a lot of international students, the Japanese, Korean, uh, Chinese, maybe only two Vietnamese, me and another guy from Hanoi who was going there for an MBA. And I clearly remember he gave me one bit of advice. He said, there are many foreign students who've arrived here and they quickly experience uh, homesickness, right? So they're feeling homesick. And it's easy to find a community where they feel like home. So even in the city where you live, it's easy to find a pocket of uh, people from your country and speak the la same language and understand the same culture. So you feel more comfortable. We speak the same language. They understand our culture. Uh, we instantly feel safe and, and comfortable. If he asked, what is your goal? And I said, well, my goal is to be here to study and get my degree and get a job so I can get more experience. Um, do you want to stay here? You want to live in America? It's like, I don't know yet. That's too far down the road. Uh, right now, just to be here, study. Uh, that's the number one goal. Uh, his advice would be, if you want to get the most out of it, you need to make a lot of friends with uh, locals. Understand that culture, that's the best way to understand and, and master the language and the fastest way to master the language. The fastest way to master a language is to make new friends uh, who are natives. Otherwise, you just fall into a track of finding the Vietnamese community, speak the same language, understand the culture. There's no need for you to try learning new things. And that's the number one thing that I learned when I moved to the U.S. I had zero Vietnamese friends for two years, zero. So the first two years was, uh, it was not intentional in terms of, I don't want to meet Vietnamese. But when I heard the advice from this professor, I wasn't thinking about two years, but I was thinking more of, okay, I need to focus. So I made new friends. And along the way, I just became comfortable with groups of people uh, that I speak to on a daily basis. So there wasn't a need for me to go and find Vietnamese community to feel I'm at home. I was feeling I'm already at home um, after that. So that's how I coped with the uh, uh, learning the language and then adapting to the culture. Mm, so was that something you were always very natural in? Socializing with people, talking to people, being outgoing? Or was that something that you developed over time due to being in America for a longer time? I, I think as you're, when you were young, it's hard to know that about yourself. I think you kind of experiment and, and, and being out there and being sociable, and then you learn what you like and what you don't like. I remember in my um, freshman year, um, I had to take a um, personality test, you know, whether you're INTJ, ENTJ, whatever, um, can't recall correctly 100% that what type that I was. I remember I was an ENTJ. But that also changes over time. So your personality, I guess your view of the world would change over time. I can't remember. I think I read something about your personality. You, you yourself as a human being uh, change every seven years. So every seven years, there's a drastic change in life experience and it affects your decision making and way of uh, life. So wasn't intentional that I go and find people. It was intentional until I met the professor And he kind of crystallized my view for me. He's like, what are you here? I was saying that in my head, like I'm here to study. But then when someone asked you that question, what are you really here for? And you feel obligated to, to do that for yourself because you said that to someone. 
you don't just fly by and say, oh, I'll do that. But then it's, it becomes a habit that you're just saying things not meaning it, which is terrible. So that was my journey. Very interesting. Now, at the time when you arrived in the U.S., what were your professional aspirations? What were your dreams? That was that's a good question. I'm still trying to figure out today one. <laughs> I was kidding. I think uh, growing up in an entre entrepreneur family, my, my dad, he's an entrepreneur himself, my mom as well. I think um, instantly that I thought when I was growing up, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I, I'm going to own my own business, but I don't know what that means. So when moving to America, I was focusing on education. So in my head, I said, I didn't like Vietnam back then because Vietnam was nothing. It wasn't developed, right? 1980s, it's just after the US left a big mess that they created <laughs> that the country slowly yeah. building and Vietnam is completely closed off. So they're trying to figure out a lot of missing pieces, just like Afghanistan today. It's, it's, it's not a great place just yet. It, uh, I believe it will uh, thrive. It will become something better. I hope it will become something better for uh, uh, the citizens there. So moving to America, uh, number one thing is education. After that, I thought after this, I'm going to go to Europe to, to work. Asia is a familiar environment. Each country in Asia has their own unique culture, but it's also there's uh, significant familiarities that we have. How do I learn? I thought to myself, I'm, I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to go and get a job there and then figure out later. So that was an aspiration. Becoming something, it only becomes crystallizing as I grow. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to run my own business. And I didn't understand why. Why did I want to do that? And as I'm growing up and, and graduating and working, I become more aware of what I want to build. We all have limited time. We all have limited resources. There are things we want to do and pursue our passions and dreams. In my personal experience, they aren't really practical and realistic for me. I love music. I don't go there. It was It's a passion, but I, I haven't thought much about being committed and this is my life. So one thing you think in your head, that is what you love. This is your passion. But do you actually take actions to do all that? If you don't, then you have to question your passion and your love. Because if, if that is a true passion or love, it is unstoppable. But it's just something you tell yourself and you're not doing it, then you have to reevaluate and get alignment on that what, what that is. So for me, as I become more aware of things, I know one thing I really like. I love building. So I love getting into a team or a business to fix problems, to build something. So I need to see... If I started this business where it is today, where I want it to be, and I, I would enjoy the process of building it, uh, it's not about the destination. Uh, and I'm still learning along the way because there needs to be a balance that looking at the financial aspect and looking at the passion and the, the, uh, the joy of building it. So that it's, it's important. Uh, it's like an artist that uh, creating a beautiful piece, but not knowing how much time he's creating, he would be in investing his time into, and then the value after. The, the artist never seen the value after that. It just, the result is completely amazing and beautiful. But then the artist's mind versus a businessman that has to have a balance in that. And I'm, I'm learning through, uh, through that process now. So share with us a bit about your professional, or should I say entrepreneurial journey after college. 
Yeah. So uh, after college, I went to work for a couple of companies and um, non-tech related. Uh, but then I, I, I started in a software uh, development firm and I thought it was interesting. So I, um, a good friend gave me an HTML book. <laughs> it was early 2000. And I was like, oh, what's this? So it's like, oh, this is the basic, the, the, the internet, uh, the, the, the web language. So I went home, I took the book and then I started reading it and then went online and took online courses, uh, not even courses, just videos of people doing the tutorial on how to build websites. I taught myself coding and I thought it was really interesting. So I did that for a while and then I realized that what impact do I make on this? Am I enjoying building websites, applications in the next, in the next 10, 20 years? And I, I, I looked at myself and I said, well, this is fun and exciting to know the fundamentals of things in, from a technology um, standpoint. But understanding it and making something bigger than that would be moving beyond just sitting in front of a computer and code. That's what I thought. So I transitioned myself out of that role in terms of uh, understanding more of what technology can do and then engage with people who are smarter than me, much <laughs> talented than me, um, to do that and help me to realize the business goals. So I transitioned out of that role as a, uh, as a coder, as a software engineer, and get into a, a, a land in between business and engineering. So my roles in my career path has been advising corporations, uh, businesses on the realistic application of technology to solve uh, problems for them because I understand the background of it a little bit. I, I have a tendency of trying to understand more on the business goals and trying to help them to realize that goals. I like that and I can relate to that because I see myself as well at the intersection of business and technology. Now, looking back on your career, what professional achievement are you most proud of? I think most there are certain, certain stages of professional life. Today, I'm pretty proud of my team at Forbes. I think we are, um, I, I did the deal with Forbes, uh, US Forbes Asia in late 2020 uh, to secure the license for the whole country of Vietnam. Uh, I'm very excited and I'm very proud. Uh, such a wonderful opportunity to take over a big a globally known brand in business and media uh, and use that brand to tell exciting and amazing stories about Vietnam entrepreneurships. Forbes in the U.S. is very different. Forbes in the U.S. is like 100 plus years old business. They're known for list. It's a big list of billionaires, list of most successful businesses, big uh, corporations, uh, powerful people, and so forth. But the U.S. is such a large market, huge, huge country, and the biggest market in the world. They can do a lot with stories and celebrating entrepreneurship there. There are so many billionaires, there are so many huge corporations around the world that actually have quarters there. But when we bring that into Vietnam, Vietnam is very, very much a growing economy. The whole country only has seven billionaires to date. A lot, but not a lot in terms of the U.S. We can't compare Vietnam to the U.S. Vietnam is a tiny little country, smaller than the GDP of probably one state in the U.S. So it's not fair to compare that way. But when I brought Forbes into Vietnam, uh, when it came on board, I'm excited because this is such a young country. The war ended in 1975. The country reunited. And then it took us a while until 2005. We start uh, seeing the peak of the economy after Bill Clinton visited in 2000. And then a couple of years later, we start seeing more investment rolling in. 2005 is an area where we see more economic boom. 
And then the US housing bubble happened in 2008. It didn't affect Vietnam until 2010, 2012, it ended. And then 2012 until 2020, it's only eight years and we hit the global pandemic. So from a timing perspective, Vietnam is a very young country and they've done a fantastic job in terms of growing their economy in such a short amount of time. Second to that, Vietnam has such a young population. It's people like you, people like me, and there are many Forbes 30 under 30 that I had a conversation with two nights ago. There are so many people like that here. And we cannot just only tell the stories about billionaires in Vietnam or the industrial manufacturing economy where it's just very old. Uh, we need to not just telling those stories, but we need to elevate and highlight the most recent success and on the rise of SME and startups, uh, those who are returning from other countries, um, second generation, just like uh, yourself. We've seen a lot more of these people coming here to help building uh, their future and building their economy. So I'm very proud of being a part of Forbes today and having the opportunity to tell that story uh, on behalf of, of, of the younger generation here under the brands called Forbes. That's wonderful and very aligned with what we are doing with overseas Vietnamese and also kind of my personal mission to help develop, you know, Vietnam and country. But let's talk about Forbes a little bit later. I would like to take it back a little bit. When did you know that you will move back to Vietnam when you were in the U.S. and why? I didn't know that I would move back to, the, uh, to, the, to Vietnam, actually. When I moved there and then I settled, I built businesses And then uh, I, I never thought I would move back to Vietnam, not anytime soon. But one lesson I learned my my last venture in America, my software company, was the misalignment between me and my partner in terms of the vision. So when you have misalignment, it's hard to, to continue. So you need to make a decision. You can have different ways to run a business, different leadership styles. But one common thing you have to have is you both have to work for the common goal, the common vision of the business. If you two or three or whoever the partners are disagree in the future path of the business, there would be struggles. So I arrived at, I've arrived at the, a time where I had to have a, a chat with my business partner on the software company. Uh, we've been running it for a couple of years and um, just life happened. It's a different path. I'm in a different path. I, um, I get divorced for a while, so I was free and I was, I was uh, really, really bullish, right? I, was, I'm, I don't have a lot of uh, financial responsibility. So, okay, we're going to build this to be something bigger. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm all in. I don't need to pay mis myself very much, uh, but we need to draw a map for the future that is bigger than this. Whereas he's starting a family, which is fantastic. He has kids, wife. His, so his, his risk appetite is not too excited and not too exciting for me. So we both have this misalignment in terms of what the future is, and that is not going to change. So we both have a conversations and we arrive to a, a decision that we need to either I have to liquidate or he has to liquidate. And um, I looked at myself and do I want to continue being here in this city for the next 10 years? And would, what would that reward is for me for the next 10 years? Sacrificing my time here. I don't think it's worth it. And I'm, I want to leave the city. I want to do something else. So that's when uh, we had an agreement, liquidate the business. 
then I met with Enterprise Rent a Car, which is a global, um, and I think the world's largest car rental business. And um, they were very in the early stage of going international. Uh, this is about four years ago, five years ago, uh, 2016, I think. I said, I can help you to go to Asia. They only have a presence in, in Australia, but not anywhere else. They're exploring. It's really strong in Europe, but not nowhere in Asia. Australia is not Asia. So I said, I, I can help you to set something up. So we had several meetings and I bought into their franchise. And that was the first franchise that we bring to Asia. Uh, Vietnam is the first market and wasn't planning on moving to Vietnam, but there was an opportunity to build something that I was, I'm excited and going to Vietnam is to see my family and boom, it's a great combination. So I took that opportunity, but it wasn't intentional in the beginning. It's like, okay, I'm going to leave America and go back to Vietnam and start a business because uh, I don't know much about the market here. I, I know just enough, but I don't know a lot in terms of the business landscape. So this deal was an excuse for me to go and put myself in a place where I have to learn the business culture here and I have to build that. What would you say, was that the right decision? Because you said you wanted to go to Europe. Now, looking back in hindsight, how has your take changed on that? Um, yes, I, I think so. I, before, uh, when I first um, moved to the, to the US, you have to, to have citizenship or some legitimate way of staying in America. So I wasn't thinking much about it. I was like, okay, you know, in Europe, probably a lot easier. So that's why I started going to Europe instead of staying in America. But during my time working in the U.S., I did a lot of corporate training and I traveled to Europe quite often. I get to learn uh, a bit about European cultures. Um, and I did a study abroad in London in 2002, I think, uh, for two semesters. Uh, it was a fun experience. But the, the, the deal with Enterprise bringing me back to Vietnam, and uh, it's also a, a journey. It's also very interesting in terms of taking what you learn from the U.S., from the American culture, uh, business-wise, and then learn how to be flexible, learn how to manage, how to adapt yourself in Vietnam. It's also quite a big challenge. M moving back to Vietnam after my last business deal was uh, interesting. Is that the best decision? Well, it was the best decision then. Uh, now we're all under lockdown, <laughs> the pandemic. But <laughs> that's joking aside. I've been here for uh, almost four years now, and I think uh, I, I don't have any regrets. And I think it was fantastic. It's a natural course of development in my, my career and personal life. Uh, I'm very uh, grateful. Mm, wonderful opportunity. Uh, being in America, for me, is such a bubble. that I only know about the business there, the culture there. But bringing what I've known and what I've learned and working from there, back to Asia as an adult life and professional life, it uh, helps you to look at yourself and have to be more mindful and have to be more open-minded. And uh, you have to work harder to blend in back into the professional life in Vietnam. It's very, very different. It's, it's, you could be a Harvard educated Fortune 500 executives moving to Asia taking a role, not every single rules in a corporate America would apply. It's, it's a very different world. And one thing that I have tremendous respect for the enterprise uh, um, family, which is the, the Taylor family, is when they launched their business, 
to go international, one thing they do is they look for talented, go-getter, awesome leader in a certain country, and they give them so much autonomy to run the business how they want to run in that country. They give some guidelines that could not be crossed in terms of protecting their brand, but in terms of local uh, leadership operations, they give these countries a lot of autonomy to do their own thing, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, when I did this master franchise agreement with them, they gave me a lot of information. They gave me a lot of frameworks, uh, but we had conversation, the gentleman named Peter Smith, uh, he's a vice president of global franchising business, very smart guy. And um, he also worked in Asia in the 80s. He was in Hong Kong and traveling across Southeast Asia to kind of get a sense of what it is being around and, and across the world. Said Mr. Kung, we signed this agreement. We have some parameters in terms of protecting our own brand identity, but the way you run the business in Vietnam is your own way of leading it. Uh, we will not interfere and tell you how to do that. And which is uh, is very good, That's, and they've been very successful um, doing that. In four years, they grew from a couple of countries to more than 120 countries, which is a fantastic milestone for them. I'm interested in knowing about how you entered Vietnam with enterprise. You just touched on the uniqueness of the Vietnam business environment. How did you manage, and how did it go for you? Uh, first. Quite honestly, first year and a half moving back to Vietnam was really challenging, very frustrating. Expectations are misaligned, uh, communications are terrible. Um, it's a lot that I have to relearn, um, especially uh, even the language in a professional workplace. I speak fluent in Vietnamese, but high school level, not from a professional perspective. I never worked in Vietnam. Um, I left when I was in high school. So coming back, after I, I signed a deal with Enterprise was exciting. The first year and a half was particularly challenging because I had to deal with expectation realignment. There's so much going on here. If you talk to others who moved here, uh, they would probably share similar stories. The biggest thing for me is clarity in communication. It's in the culture. It's hard to, to, to change them, but you can teach yourself and teach them, your employees, your communication patterns, and then you also have to adapt to the culture here. It doesn't have to be 100%, but you have to give a little bit and you have to be a little bit flexible. It's hard to expect people here to um, be self-sufficient. It's rare to find extremely good people. It's difficult. And when you find one, you want to be patient or you want to continue training them, working with them, nurturing them to become something that you, uh, you're you going to go for a long run with. In the U.S. market, the labor force is different. People are independent. There are a lot of basic expectations that I don't have to manage them very often. Here, uh, people work for their bosses and are checked in and you have to constantly communicate with them. Otherwise, they don't come to you as often. Uh, my experience is I have to set up that structure in terms of my expectation is my team has to come to me. I give them deadline. I give them how I would like to be communicated. And then they align that with me. But I can't do that with business partners and customers. <laughs> so, so it has to be give and take a little bit. But uh, it took me uh, a year and a half to realize that and to be more effective in the way that I manage people. And also, it, uh, from a personal side, it, it teaches me to be more patient. So I have learned tremendous for the last uh, four years being here. 
I, I've learned to be very patient. What would you say are the advantages of doing business in Vietnam compared to the US? It's a good question. Um, the Vietnamese are extremely smart. There are a lot of really raw talent here. Great, wonderful, smart, loyal people. And they would be more, uh, they would have more empathy for us in a dif difficult time compared to my experience being in America. If you're not doing well, business is not doing well, they would be happy to go and find a different job. Whereas the Vietnamese are very uh, empathetic. Um, they're very loyal and they are really responsible from that perspective. If you pay attention to your people, take care of them, they would stay with you for a long time. Even if, even during this time with the pandemic, a lot of businesses are laying off people or cutting costs. If you have conversations with people, they would understand and they would stay with you for the long run. Um, not a lot of people would jump ship and say, okay, I don't care. I'm going to go and work for a different company. But um, in America, in my experience, uh, that doesn't happen very often. There are people like that in the U.S. I'm not being dismissive of it, but I would say less than uh, the culture in Vietnam. That's, that's, that's a fantastic upside. Um, go back to the talented pool of talent. There are many, many smart, raw talent here. But what they lack is uh, leadership because what they've learned only limit to what they've seen here. So the leadership coming from more developed societies, we've seen more, uh, we experience more, and then we bring it here. People will take that opportunity to learn from us and we enable them, we help them, we guide them to uh, maximize their potential. So there, there are a lot of really smart people, but they lack access to modern developed uh, management style. But that's, I think the, those are the two plus sides. How do you think will that change in the future regarding the leadership development of Vietnamese talent? In my, in my experience, talking to quite a few peers and then people run businesses here, I started seeing the trend of FDI projects uh, they're sending their people here. Uh, the trend is they are trying to localize that senior leadership as much as possible. Um, you see it from um, even company like Heineken or Unilever, these big companies here. They're bringing in top level management from overseas. But then over time, it's important to teach and leverage Uh, local towns, once for cost perspective, quite honestly, two for maximizing their efficiency and the opportunity to be uh, much more uh, successful because most of these companies that believe that I see the future is they need to empower these people in this, uh, this country to do their own thing. Um, they believe in the Vietnamese. They believe the leadership is there. The potential is there. They just need a little bit of guidance. They need a little bit of nurturing. Uh, but over time, they believe the trends will be more locals to have a seat on senior management position to lead those operations. And we start seeing that even not just locals, but returning Vietnamese, whether they are born and raised in uh, modern societies or they born and raised here, but a study abroad, they're coming back. The mix of, of that, they would like to, to hire uh, nationals or uh, at least the people who speak the language and understand the culture to maximize that potential that they don't know. So under the leadership of a foreign national to come in, they can understand what they're trying to do, but then the potential beyond that, they would like to 
leave that to the Vietnamese to, to make the decision. So I think there's a trend to move towards that in the future. What would be your advice to young overseas Vietnamese who think about moving to Vietnam for their career? There are a lot. <laughs> I, I can share from my personal standpoint moving here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one is to really, really listen and give it time to process. Uh, me, I'm not very patient in the beginning. I am much more patient now. I made a lot of mistakes. Also, I was successful. I am successful uh, in in the U.S. in my uh, businesses that I built. So with that track record that brought me back to Vietnam, I, I brought that with me, right? I come here and say, okay, I'm, I've done this before. I'm successful. So why should I listen to you to tell me how to do it here? So that is the biggest mistake that I made. So I came here. And I was very close-minded. I said, this is how I would want to run it. This is how I want to communicate. This is how I want to do it. And it, it, it backfires and it wasn't pretty. Um, that's why I shared earlier, the, the first year and a half was a struggle. My advice would be coming here with a very open-minded uh, viewpoint and also to listen more. And what does that mean? To listen and not to make a decision or to come into a conclusion because of our background and upbringing in a different environment. It's very hard to do. It's hard to do to just listen, leave it there and go back and assess that the next day. Because we all tend, as human, we all tend to, there's different forms of listening, right? Active listening also, listen to respond. When you meet people at a networking event or whatever random uh, social events, when people, start saying things, you already start forming the questions in the back of your head. That's not very good. Yeah. That's human nature, right? People started talking, you forming questions, you're missing out that part that they're sharing something important and you actually don't process that deeply. So I, my recommendation is be humble. Be, uh, humility is, is not overrated. Go in there and just tell them, I'm here, I'm new, I'm learning. It's okay to keep telling yourself that you're moving here. Like I am new. I'm only here for six months, whatever a year. I'm still learning. By saying that, lower yourself in a position that you don't know a lot. And you doesn't mean that you're not confident. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It only means that you are learning something new. So when you start opening up like that, people will share more in a more empathetic way. And then when you listen, really listen. Uh, go back to it, and you, 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 I think you'll learn a lot. But we've experienced what we've succeeded at and applied it here. It's terrible. It's, it's, a, it's a recipe for a disaster. I think uh, that, that, that is hard to master. Just uh, need to be very mindful of your, our listening skills and being open-minded about it. That's great advice, Kung. Would you generally advise overseas Vietnamese to move back to Vietnam? Is that something that you would like to encourage? And if so, why? I, I think um, that's a good question, Gwen. Uh, I want to share a little bit of personal point on here. Um, when I moved to America at a certain year, I can't remember when, but I, I think it was my mid-20s, I hit a, a identity crisis. And I think for the listeners here, probably hear me, it's like, okay, I have a, an American accent, but I just shared that I grew up here. I didn't go to school until, didn't go to college uh, here, but I went to college in the US. So a lot of people thought I was born and raised there, or at least raised there because of my accent, but my upbringing as a Vietnamese, my professional life as an American or Vietnamese American, 
at a certain point, you live in a foreign land, you bought in, you made at home. America is great because there's everybody belongs there. You know, Indians, American, Chinese, or Italians, Vietnamese, whatever, they don't really care. Uh, everybody is American. At a certain time, you can't help but to look at it in a way that I am a minority. So if you are a minority, does America have its own identity? And what is its own identity? So do you know its identity? Do you want to form it for yourself? Are you associate yourself with more Vietnamese? Or are you associate yourself with more German? Or you associate yourself with Italian? Or you associate yourself with uh, associated yourself with Americans? So it's difficult. At a certain point, I know that a lot of people would have that struggle, and uh, I had that struggle myself. And I talked to others, and I read different things uh, from different people. I I consider myself a Vietnamese. Uh, I'm very proud of being Vietnamese. I feel extremely lucky to have access to education and career experience in America and also what America has to offer. But at the end of the day, I go home and I face myself and I'm very proud of being Vietnamese. There are many traits that are in our blood, in our parents and our generations in the past that I don't want to get rid of. I don't want to change. So advising people to go back to Vietnam, obviously I'm being biased. Yes, I would love to see more returning Vietnamese descendants, Vietnamese uh, to come back and help build this country. Our parents um, left Vietnam for economic opportunities. Some go to Germany, some go to Australia, France, America, whatever. That was in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s for economic opportunities. But our generation coming back to Vietnam, not just Vietnam, Southeast Asia in general, this is the land of opportunity, economic opportunity today. Modern society, they don't do much of manufacturing anymore. If you look at China, China is now pioneering in high-tech manufacturing. All the major corporations, products that are coming out of Apple or Samsung are in China. And these technologies are, and the experience of building it is, is it, it takes 30 years uh, for China to arrive to where it is today. But it's not just China, Vietnam, Malaysia, Thailand, the Philippines, and so forth. So I think this is the land of economic opportunities today for returning VQ. So I personally would highly encourage people to come here and experience, learn, and then decide for themselves in the future. I'm not saying this is your life, but this is an awesome way to experience your career path. And also when you're young, it's more exciting. It's a lot happening here. That's so true. And I can only echo that. I, I could not imagine myself being somewhere else right now than here in Southeast Asia. It's developing so fast and it's super exciting every day. Another question to you, what should returning overseas Vietnamese do when they come, if they were to come? What would you advise them to do in their first years and then later on? I think what is based on what you like, uh, what you um, feel like you are going to spend your whole day in that career path for X number of months or years that you want to be here. Uh, something I've learned with many uh, VQs here, uh, most people would struggle the first three years. Um, if you made it past three, year, past three years, you're a little safe. I struggle in the first 18 months, which is a year and a half. <laughs> 
many actually couldn't even make it in the first year and a half. And even friends that I met, they've been here for 18 months and they've, they've hit crisis uh, because they couldn't cope with the culture and the way that people work. So what you do, I think, uh, in preparation for um, the culture shock and the business culture shock, identify the industry that you want to be in. In Vietnam, the economy is still based on industrial manufacturing, which is, this is what we know, right? The biggest uh, export. Interesting things to do in terms of, I guess, uh, tech uh, entertainment, F&B. I would say heavy industrial manufacturing industry has different impact. Let's, let's take uh, VinFast, right? VinFast, VinGroup is a conglomerate here and they've done so much for the country. They created so much opportunities for, for, for other people to make wealth out of it from real estate to retail to automotive. So if you want to make an impact, for example, in automotive, right? Put Vietnam on the map. Your talent would be valuable working for VinFast, for example, because they are pushing electric vehicles. Um, they're getting to this space where they want to, to, to the, the world to know that we are making electric vehicles and we're exporting. This is quite new, but this leaves a big footprint, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's not one year, it's two years, but Vietnam is moving fast. Within the last couple of years, you probably start reading the news about VinFast expanding. It's awesome. It's exciting. They're making electric buses that have been running around Hanoi already. So those are the areas that I think, uh, if you look at a big picture, it leaves significant impact, something you're proud of. Now get into something more fun, let's say startup or entertainment or, or F&B. The F&B scene here is exploding post, uh, pre-COVID. Now it's just everything's dead. But before COVID is, is the tremendous opportunities on, on, on the F&B scene and even FMCG because the middle class is rising, there are more people making more money, they have more disposable income. They spend like crazy. They spend even the boom in e-commerce. Uh, you see the demand on people spending and then the movement of goods, that's where the excitement part is happening. It's just a natural evolution of an economy. When people make more money, they demand more premium goods or even different goods. So I don't know, uh, I would say, evaluate the industry, the things that you enjoy doing every day. I think going back to this question, it reminds me of when I was in college, our parents would ask, what industry, what major you want to do? Are you going to be uh, in engineering? You're going to be in economics? You're going to do business? You're going to do finance? As a kid, going to school and you're like, well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> what do I do after school is, is more important than questions that parents should guide their kids Okay, if you do engineering, if you do chemistry, if you do uh, finance, these are the things that you would be doing every day after college. Do you like doing that rather than do you like learning this? So learning and doing are two different things. So I think they have to, they have to align in that for the kids, for the, for the youngsters to know, I like studying this, but then do you also like sitting in and doing this type of jobs? So that makes more sense. So go back to that is, if you want to explore opportunities here, knowing what kind of things you would be doing here every day, if you want to be F&B, moving around, meeting people, fantastic. If you want to sit in and do research and create more impact and work with government bodies on regulations, 
or supply chain of the electric batteries for these scooters that Vinfast made or, or um, cars that they're going to make, then you choose these industry to go in. And knowing that the time that you spend there is focusing on the impact you make. Excellent advice, Gung. Thank you very much. Let's move on and talk a little bit about Forbes and your story. How did Forbes come about? You started with Enterprise. How did your journey evolve into now moving to Forbes and going into media? So I was introduced to Forbes by my partner. He's a German guy, um, Horst Geike. He's, from, uh, he's the owner of Deutsches House building here in downtown Ho Chi Minh City back in 2000 and late 2019. We started talking in November, December of 2019, and then um, until February 2020, COVID happened, unfortunately, and we had to stop our conversation and didn't think it was going anywhere. And then over the course of, um, over the summer of last year, the economy started picking up a little bit for Vietnam, and we resumed our conversation in the fall of last year, maybe September, October time. I was introduced to uh, the head of uh, Forbes Asia. Forbes Asia owns 95% of Forbes US, so they make the decision on this side of the world. I was uh, very excited, the opportunity to be able to tell the story in terms of Vietnam as a young country, uh, so much going on, young people, talented people, unlike uh, the brand Forbes in the U.S. celebrating billionaires and, and huge corporations, uh, more older generation in Vietnam. I like to take a different angle. Uh, there are less billionaires in Vietnam compared to the U.S., uh, but there are more. 95, 96%, 97% of the economy here is, is driven around the uh, SME sector. There's so much to tell in that space. And I think that the Vietnamese entrepreneurs deserve to be put on the map. This is a one, wonderful and fantastic opportunity to take over Forbes and use that platform to celebrate entrepreneurship here. Love it. So going forward, what are your plans with Forbes Vietnam? Forbes is a strong brand. It's a global media conglomerate. And people know about them because they publish lists right? list of billionaires and then powerful people and so forth. They've been around for more than 100 years. Forbes US has its own identity. They've done a fantastic job. But Forbes bringing that DNA, that's essence of their brand and how they've been doing uh, their business there, uh, stories they tell into Vietnam might not be 100% relevant uh, because we are still a growing country, a growing economy uh, with less billionaire so we have to come up with different content we can't just tell our stories around uh, the seven billionaires because and even we publish that list every year we wouldn't have a new list to publish so for me forbes is an exciting brand to represent the young generation here the forbes 30 under 30 is a fantastic platform for us to leverage and tell successful stories proven and the future leaders of this country. We move, uh, we, we honor 30 people once every two years from an entire uh, 63 provinces across Vietnam in various sectors, business, entertainment, healthcare, arts, theater, whatever. I'm really excited to go beyond the billionaire list, the most successful, powerful people in Vietnam, the um, large uh, corporations here, but tell successful stories of SME, not just startups, but SME here in Vietnam. And this is an exciting time to do that with the brand uh, Forbes. That sounds very exciting. So what are your next 
five-year plans? What do you have in pipeline? What do you intend to do as an impact for Vietnam with Forbes? So um, Forbes has been around in Vietnam for eight years and the previous team, they've done a fantastic job. They have a magazine and they have events. That's mostly what they did for uh, Forbes uh, Vietnam. A lot of revenue coming from events, uh, such as uh, brand conference, uh, business forum, which is just top 50 listed companies, Forbes 30 under 30 events, uh, women leaderships and so forth. They haven't done much in a digital space. For me, in the next five years, my goal to turn this into a multimedia company uh, here in Vietnam. They go beyond publishing just on the magazine, the, the physical print magazine itself, uh, but publishing on social media, on video, infographics, podcasts, our websites, and, and lots of different programs to get more into the digital space and to be more connected with successful young entrepreneurs and provide them a platform to have a voice. Great. It sounds like there's a lot of collaboration area and opportunities between Forbes and overseas Vietnamese, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm excited. I, I think the angle that we take from uh, a content perspective is number one goal is to celebrate entrepreneurship. But because Forbes has have its own identity, we're not going to just keep digging into every up by the minute story about startups but it needs to have weight, it needs to have potential. When Forbes does a story, we do a lot of research, we do a lot of due diligence. We, we feature somebody with background and weight and potential. And when we honor someone with a badge called Forbes under 30 leader, there's a lot of pressure on that person. They feel it, they sense that, and they have to keep up with the image of going beyond that because they now become a role model for the next generation. So it's, it's, I'm excited about that angle. I'm excited about celebrating that with people and have their own, my own unique proposition as a media company over others. I'm excited to, to find ways to partner with overseas Vietnamese and also tell stories if any of the community members are excited about it and then want to, to, to explore stories together. Sounds good. We will definitely explore that further. Let's get back to your work at Forbes. With your aspirations, What's currently the biggest challenge that you face with Forbes? There, we, we're very um, unfortunate to be in a situation where the city is still under lockdown. Biggest problem for us, immediate problem, is that we cannot host events, uh, physical events. We cannot distribute a magazine uh, because of the lockdown. We can do, we've been doing a lot of virtual events, right? We're doing a lot of uh, Zoom conference and all that stuff, which is okay. Uh, at least we're staying busy. But what create, what's, what's more of creating an impact on that is to have physical events where people can meet and feel that energy in the room and we can invite others to come in. And then, for example, our Women's Summit, we have more than a thousand people attending. Forbes under 30, we have more than a thousand young people that find opportunities to meet with each other and, and network. On virtual, it's impossible to have people to network with each other because they are actually just bystanders. And they're just uh, there to listen. They can't interact with others as much. That, the, that is the immediate challenge. The future, uh, more of a long-term challenge is to try to figure out a solid strategy for digital so we can have a more relevant and a platform for the young entrepreneurs to be to, to engage more with us. And that's still in the works for us. 
Mm, and going back to Forbes 30 Under 30, we have many, many very ambitious and smart people in our community. I think many listeners are interested about that. Are you planning to have a separate list for Vietnam only? And how do Vietnamese qualify for that list? Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. We wouldn't discriminate people from not actually from Vietnam, but we would rather have somebody who have a footprint here, who have uh, who invested emotionally, physically being here uh, and built something for the future here. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about, okay, somebody moving here and trying to build business out of it. If you have a case, you have a good story, our editorial team and our board, we, every time we do a list, we have a committee. We don't just make a decision ourselves. We invite people, experts in different industries and advisors here and there to participate in the voting round. So uh, we don't exclude overseas Vietnamese. If you hear, then you hear. But if you live abroad and you want to be on the list, it might be difficult because you have never been here. Um, so that's the only difference. But if you are returning VQ, it's not a problem. Uh, for us, we submit your nominations and we would be uh, more than happy to explore all potential candidates. And is that a separate list from the Forbes Asia list? Um, each country will have their own list. So let's say Forbes Thailand, we have their own list. Uh, Forbes Vietnam has its own list. And then Forbes Asia will be different list. Um, you could be nominated for Vietnam and then you could be recognized for Forbes Asia or you can be recognized for Forbes US, which is uh, more a bigger market. But depends on what is your goal. If your goal is to be known in the US, then being in the Forbes Vietnam list doesn't do any good for you because you want to reach investors and partners in the US. But your goal is to do business in Vietnam and you being known in the US and then, well, nobody knows you're here <laughs> unless they, they read the magazine from the US. Thanks for sharing the details. So here's, I think the final question, a heavy one. What is your outlook or what do you hope to see for the future of Vietnam in the coming years? It's a big question. Um, Vietnam is on the rise. Vietnam is still very much a small country. But I believe that during this crisis, this pandemic, there are more eyes on Vietnam because of one, the way that we fought the pandemic or the way that we control coronavirus. And the other thing is we are among the countries that produces a lot of various different products that cause the global blockage of supply chain. For example, Samsung and Intel are the two uh, companies with producing semiconductors that, that being here and uh, during this crisis, that's actually not really great for these businesses. Samsung put in 17, almost $18 billion into Vietnam, building factories and making products out of it. Intel, another player that didn't put in as much money into the country, but they actually export quite a lot of uh, chips to the world. In the foreseeable future, I think the more of this happening, uh, it's unfortunate, but it does bring Vietnam onto the map that people will know, know more about Vietnam, more about us, uh, and it creates great opportunities for uh, foreign investment. Um, I see more opportunities for companies to come in and set up business here as China plus one strategy. Uh, it's not a replacement of China, of course, because we are nowhere able to produce the quality in terms of high-tech manufacturing, nor the capacity in terms of quantity that China is producing. But we are certainly 
one alternative uh, or an addition to a source of manufacturing hub for a lot of big corporations. Uh, I'm excited to see more of that happening. I'm excited for the country to bring more FDI projects to give people more jobs. Uh, after all, we are very fortunate to be in a space where we work from home, we deal with computers, whereas there are a lot more people out there have to deal with hands and, 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 and uh, labor. I'm excited to see more investors coming in to, to, to lift Vietnam beyond where it is today. All right, Gun, I think that's a good place to end our conversation. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing all your stories, for sharing all your tips and all your insights. I'm very excited what the future holds for Forbes and also how we can collaborate with overseas. And I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. If you found this interesting, share our podcast with your friends. To get in touch with our team or to join the Overseas Vietnamese community, visit overseasvietnamese.com. We run a vibrant online community for Vietnamese people from all over the world, where we chat about a wide range of topics, from career growth and personal development, to Vietnamese culture and economy, and much, much more. We are a family looking out for each other and growing together. See you there and in the next episode.